Proverbs, and we're doing Psalm 37 today about uh, uh, resting in the Lord and having hope in the Lord. So that's our uh, sermon a little bit later on today. I'm looking forward to talking about that. We're going to be having communion today, so prepare yourself for communion a little bit later on. We have our worship team doing our, some great songs today. I've really, really enjoyed them at the practice. Uh, let's, let's open in prayer right now. Thank you, Lord, for this day that you've given us. We thank you for the beautiful weather we have to enjoy. Thank you for um, the time to get together to worship you, Lord, to open up your word, to study it, to understand better what it means to be a follower of Christ. Thank you for the songs that just uh, draw us closer to you. And as we worship you, and thank you for all your blessings in our life, Lord. And I also want to pray that you'll help us to that as a communion time to really focus on the cross and all that Jesus did for us. Thank you, Jesus, for being willing to die in our place and to give us salvation. And so we're humbled by that. And so, Lord, I pray you'll be our special guest today during our worship service. We thank you for this opportunity to be together. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. Right, if you guys want to stand and sing with us, this first song is my testimony. Greater things still to come, oh I believe. 
Thank you, Jesus, that we can come here together and just praise you and worship your name. Thank you for what you do in the cross for us. Thank you to celebrate that today.
I just thought the, I thought the songs were really good today as far as just preparing us for worship. Thank you. <coughs> Where's the sound? We are so blessed. I mean, I think as Christians, I think as, as Christians, we become uh, comfortable maybe in the fact that we're Christians. We don't really ever, I, I don't think we as, and again, I'm speaking for myself too. I don't think we all always comprehend what a blessing it is. We'll talk more about that today, about trusting in God and having hope in God. But we we have a firm foundation in the Word of God. We have our Lord and Savior, our Father in Heaven, who planned this whole thing. We have the Holy Spirit inside of us. The Word of God to guide us. The body of Christ to support us. There's so many things we have as, as Christians that we're so blessed. And it, it gives us stability. And it gives us, and I'm kind of stealing my thunder for the song, but that's okay, because it's, it gives us um, confidence in our in our life that we we know we're on the right track. We know we're moving closer to the Lord. One of our friends, Donna Davis, passed away yesterday. She with the Lord today. She she went from death on this earth to immediately to new life in heaven with Christ, and that's the confidence every one of us has. Every one of us has, he knows Christ personally. So I, I hope we can just take this time to thank the Lord. That's really what we're doing in communion, is, is remembering all Christ did for us, and then also, and also then um, thanking him for what he's done in our life. And then that's also, for me, communion is always kind of a recommitment of, of 
the next month, which is the month of August this year, to recommit to live for him during this month. We had to break up the year in 12 parts and, and focus on each month that we're given that month to the Lord. And his life is tough. There's going to be temptations out there. There's going to be discouragements out there. And if you don't trust in the Lord, you can really lose heart. But we have heart in the Lord. We have trust in the Lord. And so the Lord is, is the found, our foundation, our firm foundation. So let's just take a moment to be silent and then privately kind of just thank the Lord for all he's given us through our salvation. Savior, that you have a plan for us, that your heavenly, our Heavenly Father had a plan that you were willing to fulfill on the cross and die in our place on the cross. Even though you never sinned, you died as sin for us. You rose on the third day, victorious over death and victorious over sin. Because of that, we're promised a resurrection as well, that we know we're going to live with you in heaven forever, as it says in Revelation 21. But there's no sickness, no pain, no sorrow. So, Lord, we look forward to that day as well. While we're here on this earth, we commit ourselves to live our life to honor you and to please you, to be good representations of you. But then in heaven, we're going to be with you face to face. So, Lord, we thank you for the, the elements you gave us. You knew as a human when you were here that people forget. We get busy in our lives and we tend to forget you. So you gave us these elements to remind us of your your body and your blood on a consistent basis that we would take this to remind ourselves of all you've done for us and we're grateful for that as well so lord we're going to take these elements right now and i pray that that we will all recommit our hearts to living for you in a, in a crooked world lord you are you are a straight line to heaven and so we put our trust in you in jesus name amen 
Jesus gave us the body, with the cup, the bread, to remind us that it was a body. Now this has two elements that remind me. First of all, the fact that Jesus was on earth, this represents his body. Jesus was a man for 33 years. He lived on this earth. It's called the incarnate Christ. He lived in the flesh. But he also was God at the same time. Nobody else has ever done that before. Only Christ can do that, say that. So he get, But he had to break his body. He knew his, he, he had to show us a perfect life, but then he had to have his body broken on the cross in the most unimaginable suffering of being flogged and beaten near death and then hanging on the cross and carrying his own cross to, to be killed on Golgotha. And so Jesus reminds us that his body, broke, his body was broken for us. And he, he reminds us now that we need to, as we take this into our mouths, we're saying, I believe this is true. I identify with what Jesus did. I acknowledge it. And I want to live my life. I'm willing to even suffer if I have to to honor Jesus Christ. Jesus says, this is my body broken for you. Take it and eat it all. sacrifices for their sins. They would have to sacrifice birds or lambs or different things that they own in, in order to pay for their sins. But Jesus said that I am the sacrifice by my stripes you are healed. So we know that we get salvation through the blood of Jesus and we get healing by his stripes. So let's just pray. Lord, um, thank you for sacrifice for what you did for us on the cross, Lord. Um, nothing that, that we go through on this earth compares to what you went through. And so we, um, we just we, we take all those things, Lord, those difficulties that we go through, knowing that um, one day we'll be healed and we'll be in heaven with you. And we just lift up our, our sicknesses we have, Lord, um, just different physical um, sicknesses inside of us, Lord, that we need healed. Um, mental, emotional, psychological, Lord, we lift those up to you. Pray that you would heal those. You said that by, by your stripes we are healed in Jesus' name. And I pray that you would just um, just give us that assurance of our salvation and help us to uh, walk in your spirit today. In Jesus' name. So, Christ, so this is my blood uh, poured out for you. Please take it up. Thank you for participating in that. This is very important. So thank you, Matt. Appreciate you doing, you doing that. We're going through the different. Um, you guys hear me? Close enough. We're going through the, the a lot of different psalms. 
some from last year, and some are new. This is the this is the first time we've done Psalm 37, and it's a long, it's a pretty long psalm. Some are only three or four verses, maybe. I think Psalm 23 is I think six verses. This is probably 40 verses or so, uh, 40 verses exactly. Yeah, and I want to just read this. I want to I want to just have you. I want you to put this yourself in the, in this place, as David was writing this. By the way, I, I'm doing some research. I found out this is kind of like Psalm 1, but kind of an extended version of Psalm 1, talking about the the man who is um, living for the flesh. Thanks, Dan. Appreciate that. And this one is also um, the person that's living to please God. That's that's really the choice you make in life. By the way, if you want to come up and speak through the mic, it might it's, it, it might be easier to hear from some people. I know some are don't want to do that, but if you're willing to do it, we appreciate it. Which Psalm? Psalm 37. Psalm 37. So um, I want you to think, take this as I read this, and I want to I want you to identify it with yourself. What is a, take something out of this that really hits hits you. Okay. So let me read it, and then we're going to discuss it. Okay. It says, Paul, "This is Psalm 37." The Psalm of David. Do not fret because of those who are evil, or be envious of those who do wrong. For like the grass, they will, will soon wither. Like green plants, they will soon die away. Trust in the Lord and do good. Dwell in the land and enjoy safe pasture. Take delight in the Lord, and he will give you the desires of your heart. Now, this is one that's misunderstood by a lot of people. It says, oh, that sounds good. It says, take, this is verse 4, take the light of the Lord, he will give you the desires of your heart. Well, we're going to discuss that a little bit. Okay? Uh, then it goes on to say this, commit your way to the Lord. Trust in him, and he will do this. He will make your righteous reward shine like this dawn, your vindication like the noonday sun. Be still before the Lord, and wait patiently for him. Do not, do not fret when people succeed in their ways and when they carry out their wicked scheme. Let me ask you a question. This is just a rhetorical question that we don't have to answer. You ever get jealous of somebody else? You ever see someone that has something you wish you had? And you ever think, well, why did they, how can they have that? Especially if they're not living a godly life thing. How can that person who's not even living for the Lord have that thing that I want and I don't have it? That seems unfair. I'm just asking that question. You've probably all been there at one place at one point in our life with something. Um, uh, refrain from anger and turn from wrath. Do not fret. It leads only to evil. For those who are evil will be destroyed, but those who hope in the Lord will inherit the land. A, a little while, and the wicked will be no more. Though they look, though they look for them, they will not be found. But the, we, the, the meek will inherit the land and enjoy peace and prosperity. The wicked plot against the righteous and gnash their teeth at them. But the Lord laughs at the wicked, for he knows their day is coming. The wicked draw their sword, they bend their bow, they bring down the poor and the needy, they slay those, the ways are upset, to, to slay those are, are up, up, upright. But their swords will pierce their own hearts, and their bows will be broken. Better the, the little that the righteous have than the wealth of many wicked people. For the power of the wicked will be broken, 
and the Lord upholds the righteous. The blameless spend their days under the Lord's care, and their inheritance will endure forever. In times of disaster, they will not wither. In days of times of famine, they will not. They will have in plenty, but the wicked will perish. For the Lord's enemies are the like the flowers of the field; they will be consumed, and they will they will go into smoke. The wicked borrow and do not repay, but the righteous give generously. Those the Lord bless will inherit the land, and those who curse will be destroyed. The Lord makes firm the steps of the one who delights in him. Though he may stumble, he will not fall, for the Lord upholds him with his hand. I was young and now I am old, yet I have never seen the righteous forsaken, or the children begging bread. They are always generous and, and they lend freely. Their children will be blessed and be a blessing. Turn from evil and do good. Then you will dwell in the land forever. For the Lord loves the just and will not forsake his faithful ones. Wrongdoers will be completely destroyed. The offspring of the wicked will perish. The righteous will inherit the land and dwell in it forever. The mouths of the righteous utter wisdom and their tongues speak what is just. The law of their God is in their heart. Their feet do not slip. The wicked lie in the in wait for the righteous, intent on putting them to death. But the Lord will not leave them in their power of the wicked, and let them be condemned when put to trial. This is a 34. Hope in the Lord and keep his way. He will exalt you to inherit the land. When the wicked are destroyed, you will see. I have seen a wicked and ruthless man flourish like a luxuriant native tree, but he soon passed away and, and was no more. Though I looked for him, he could not be found. Consider the blameless. Observe the upright. A future awaits those who seek peace. All But all sinners will be destroyed. There will be no future for the wicked. Psalm 39 and 40. The salvation of the righteous comes from the Lord. He is their stronghold in times of trouble. The Lord helps them and delivers them, and, deliver, and delivers them from the wicked, and saves them because they take refuge in Him. What do you learn from this? What anything that came to your mind for you? Anybody anything that a certain verse that kind of stood out to you? Let's cover the one that's the most controversial right now. Let's go back to verse four. It says this, Take delight in the Lord, and He will give you the desires of your heart. Now, how could that be tw twisted? How could that verse be twisted? Some people think, I can do whatever I want to do, and God's going to bless me. That's not the way it means, what it means at all. He says, trust in the Lord, and He will give you the desires of your heart. Now, if you trust in the Lord, you're not going to be thinking in a worldly way. You're not going to be thinking, oh, I can't wait to get that Corvette. Not that there's anything wrong with Corvette. Or, or I, I can't wait to get that, that whatever that you want that's very, you know, maybe very expensive. If you're living for the Lord, you'd be thinking like the Lord. You'd be thinking things that are going to honor God. There's nothing wrong with having something new. There's nothing wrong with having something nice. But you gotta do, you got to do things that are going to honor God. And have what you have in a way that will honor the Lord. In other words, you've got to be generous. You've got to be kind to others. You can't hoard things. 
And so that's where that verse can be misunderstood. Okay? So, the basic premise here, I think you can all understand, is you got the wicked person that always does everything for themselves and actually attacks the righteous person. You have the godly person. What does the, the Bible say in, verse, in Psalm 37 about the righteous person? What will God do for the righteous person? He, he says it a number of times in these verses we just read. Inherit the earth. They'll inherit the earth. They'll live with the Lord. If you live for God, you will always be blessed. You might not be blessed right away. You might not, you might not have immediate um, a- affirmation. But God will, God in the long run will always bless the person who's righteous. The person who lives sinfully, they might look like they're successful. But they're going to not go to heaven if they don't live for the Lord. And eventually they're going to probably suffer on this earth, right? When you mention uh, the desires you rehearse, if your mind is aligned with the Lord, then your desires, uh, God will gladly bless you with the desires of your heart because they're things that he would want you to have. Exactly. Exactly. It's, it's, the, matter, the idea of being aligned with God, not getting whatever you want, is being aligned with God. And when you have your priorities straight, you're going to have right priorities. The things you're going to want are going to be things that God would want you to have. That's important here. Couple things I want to say. Okay, what is the value of hoping and trusting in the Lord? By the way, I'm using. I started out with trust. My sermon was going to be on on the uh, the secret of trust, but then I realized the word hope, trust, and hope are two sides of the same coin. Trust is your foundation. When you have trust in God, when you believe in God, when you know He's true, when you know He's faithful, when you know He's righteous, and you know He's kind, then you'll have hope. You can only have hope when you have trust. Trust is the foundation. Hope is the result. Does that make sense? Trust is the foundation. When you have trust in God, you have hope for the future. That's important to remember. Ann? Okay. All right. Ann's coming up to the mic. <laughs> and when you, when you, and when you trust in God, you know him. And as you get to know him, you can delight in him. Right. And so that gives you hope. But you have to learn to know him in order to delight in him. And that comes by reading the word and learning who he is and trusting him. That's a good point. Good point. So you've got to learn to know that when you know God, you'll delight in him. Why do you delight in God? Because God is a good God. God is a good God. And God loves you and God wants you to be to, to have a good life. Yes. Um, <clears throat> you were talking about faith and hope. Uh, people in the world that have no faith, they see death as the end of it all. If you have faith in God that he's going to fulfill his promises, then you have the hope of eternal life. <clears throat> I've, done, I've done at least 200 funerals, probably 300 over my 45 years, 47 years of ministry, 45 years of ministry. And the people that have faith in the Lord are peaceful. They are. They, they sometimes they even think that they might see Jesus, but they see something out there, and they're not afraid. They're looking forward to it. But I have, I've done a few funerals of people that I know are not believers, and they're scared to death. They're scared to death because they don't have any hope. And they don't know what the future holds for them. 
I've tried and tried with people on their deathbed to have them receive Christ, and some just won't do it. They just won't give it to the Lord. And I had one guy I was talking to, who was kind of a rough guy, and his wife said, he's a good man, he's a good man. I said, that doesn't matter. It doesn't matter whether he's a good man. What matters is that you have a relationship with Jesus Christ. To my knowledge, he probably died not knowing Christ. And, and he, didn't, he didn't have peace in his heart when he died. Okay? So, the, the point is, if you know Christ personally, you can have, when you have a delight in him, what do you, and how would you define delight in God? Delighting is just... Praising him? Yeah, praising him for who he is and yeah. what he does and who he is to do. Yeah. Rick and Taylor just got back from the out west and they saw a lot of beautiful things, a lot of, of the national parks, and I bet you were just blown away by the beauty and what all, all is out there to just take in. All these things that God created for us to enjoy. I mean, we are so blessed to be able to, to, to see these things and to experience these things. You know, and every one of us have a, maybe a little different way of looking at things or what makes us happy or what, what do we enjoy doing. But I mean, sometimes it's great. We, Ann and I just went out to Rock Cut about three weeks ago. Just walked out there by Bayview, which is right next to where they, where they rent out the canoes and the kayaks and stuff like that. And we walked about, a, I don't know, probably two miles and just walked. It's just, it just being in nature, looking out on the, on the Lake Pierce Lake and seeing the hawks flying above and people taking their canoes out. That was just so relaxing to be there and just to enjoy that situation. You know, the, simp the simple thing. Any, anybody, it doesn't cost you a penny. It doesn't cost you a penny to go do that. You don't even pay an entrance fee to get into Rock Cut. You just enjoy it. I encourage people to do that sometimes. So let's talk about some things. First of all, I want to say three things. Three things we have that, that, that are a foundation for our hope and trust in God. Number one, God's forgiveness. We are forgiven by God. God is willing to forgive us. If we're, asked, if we're willing to say, I'm sorry, God will forgive you. If you sincerely say, I'm sorry, God will forgive you. Number two, we have faith in God, a faith in God to be who he is, to be, to act. We have trust in God that he will act appropriately and, and bless those who honor him. And thirdly, we have a, the word of God. The word of God is our, is our living proof. We have God's word to read and to just soak in all the blessings of God. I hope you've at least memorized one or two verses of, of Scripture. I mean, you can always say, I, I, if Jesus thirsts, that's, a, that's one verse right there, you know. Um, I, ha I don't have a lot of uh, Scripture memorized, but I have a lot of it in my heart, and I do have some memorized. But it's good to have God's Word hidden in your heart that you might not sin against Him. So that's the foundation. But let's go on. So what are some, what are some, what is the value of hope and trust in the life of the believer? What is the value of hope and trust? I have five things written down. Number one, hope helps us stay firm in our trust in God. Hope helps us stay firm in the trust of God. I want to turn over to Romans 8 for a second. Romans 8 says this. Verses 20, verses 25 and 26. says this but if we hope for what we do not have yet seen we wait for it patiently in the same way the spirit helps us 
in our salvation. We do not know what we ought to pray for, but the Spirit Himself intercedes for us through wordless groans. It also says in Hebrews, way back in Hebrews, verse chapter 11. Look, look at Hebrews for a second here. Hebrews 11, verse 1 says this, for faith, Now faith is confident in what we hope for and assurance about what we do not see. Faith is confidence in what we hope for and assurance about what we do not see. What have we not seen yet? We haven't seen heaven. But we know heaven's there. We know that for those who love Christ, they're going to reside in heaven. It's a place. Heaven's not just a concept. It's actually got a location. Okay? Um, and so we know that someday, if you're a Christian, you're going to live in heaven with the Lord. We know that. That's what we do not see, but we still have trust. We still trust in the Lord. Even though we don't see it, we know it's true. Okay? So that's the first thing. It helps us stay firm in our trust in God. Number two, hope uh, preserves us into a new life through our salvation. It preserves us. We have that confidence. When you have Christ in your life, you know that you have the Lord. And, uh, there was just uh, listening to uh, this man named Yannick Ngakwe. He's a new uh, edge rusher for the Bears. That He was just signed up, I think it was on Friday. It's a big deal. This guy is one of the very best in football. He's had like 9 and 10 or 10 sacks every year for the last 6 years. Now the Bears have him. And they ask him, why do you think that it's right you came to the Bears? He said, you know what? I have trust in God. I have a strong faith in the Lord. He said, my Lord, my Savior gave me peace and confidence, you know, that I should come here. He said, I just know I'm in the right place. I know that this was the right place for me to be. I even know some people here already, so that helps. They already know myself, my coaches, but I, I just trust in God. You know, and that's the way God is in your life. You ever had a situation where you had to make a decision? It's hard to make a decision sometimes about changing jobs or changing locations. And sometimes you just know it's true. I mean, the best movie we made in our in our marriage and in our life was coming back to Rockford in 1996. We were in Chicago for five years. And it was a good situation. It wasn't, wasn't always easy. But our, our parents were having health issues. My dad had a really bad back. Aunt's dad had prostate cancer. We thought at that time we'd probably lose them fairly soon. They thankfully both lived on there 15 years when we came back to Rockford. And our kids, it was just the perfect time because Matt was going to be a freshman in high school. Katie was going to be going to middle school. She was fifth grade. And Mike was in first grade. It was the perfect time to come back. It, it all just felt like a puzzle. It all made total sense. We sold our house in like five days, six days. And then we came to Rock with no house. And within two weeks, we had another house. And God just worked it all out. But the point is, we had a, we had a confidence that it was the right thing to do because we were praying for it. And God gave us peace that we're making the right decision. God will do that for you. We give you peace for making the right decision. Number three, hope reduces our feelings of helplessness. That hope, the feeling of helplessness. Listen look to what Paul says in Philippians 4.13 and verse 19. Listen to what Paul says in Philippians 4. Verse, you know these verses. I know, I know most of you know these. Verse 13 says, I can do all things through him, meaning Christ, who gives me strength. I can do all things through Christ, who gives me strength. I don't have to be helpless. I'm not helpless. As a Christian, you have the power of the Holy Spirit. You have the Holy Spirit guiding you like an internal GPS. He tells you where to go. He tells you where not to go. You ever had God tell you where not to go? Maybe you're invited to a party. Maybe you were going to, you know, 
make some investment. Like I was down in Florida one time with Ann and we went to one of these things to buy, um, we call it timeshare. And, and it, it became obvious it wasn't the right thing. My wife was giving me another stink eye, we're not doing this. You know, and we just decided we're gonna get out of here. And you just know, sometimes it's just not the right thing to do. Then verse 19 says, and my God will meet all your needs according to his riches in, in his glory in Christ Jesus. God will provide for you. God will provide for you. You don't have to be helpless. We have, we have God's spirit in, inside of us, literally inside of you right now. The part of the, whole, of the Trinity that's actually inside of your body, giving you direction. The more you spend time in God's word and in prayer and staying close to God, the more he will impress you clearly what you should and shouldn't do. If you don't know what, you're, if you don't know what you should do, and sometimes it's hard to know, get close to God. Stay close to God, yeah? Yeah, ask God for strength. Ask, and he will be more than willing to give it to you. He'll be more than willing to give it to you. Number four, okay? Uh, trust and hope are the cure for anxiety, worry, and doubt. The opposite of panic is stability. There's a guy right here, just about a block away. He was in a desert storm. He was a Marine. I think he was a, a killer. He had to do that for like a sniper or something. He was all stressed out. I mean, really stressed out. He was addicted to alcohol. And he and he needed a ride. He was crying. I was over at McDonald's over here, the one over here right, right by Goodwill. And he was and he said, I need a ride. And somebody, whatever, another friend of mine was already helping him out. He said, I need a ride up to the Veterans Hospital up in Madison. So I said, I'll take you. It was on a Friday afternoon. It was kind of an awkward time. So I drove him up to the Veterans Hospital in Madison. And, I, and he goes, how do you do it? How do you do it? I said, how do I do what? He goes, how do you stay calm? You seem so calm. I said, well, the Lord told me to help you. He said, yeah, but you don't seem to be stressed out at all. I said, I'm not stressed out. He said, I'm always stressed out. I said, well, you know, I just trust in the Lord, and the Lord gives me, gives me strength, gives me wisdom on how to do things, you know? It was kind of an epiphany because I, he, he saw something in me that I didn't really see in myself. Um, I lost touch with it. He went back to Chicago. Um, he was really in a bad way. And he finally went back home to his parents. Uh, so I, never, I lost touch of what was happening in his life. But my point is, is that God gives you a, a, a calmness. God gives you serenity, a serenity in your heart that you, you can't have without him. One of my very favorite verses, probably my life verse, is Philippians 4, 6, and 7. Now listen to this. This is one you should memorize. And I, I don't usually say that very often. This is one, if you're, if you're going to memorize some scripture, this would be a great one to memorize. It says, first of all, I'll start with verse 4. You know this one. Rejoice in the Lord always. And I'll say it again, rejoice. Philippians 4, 4. That's easy to re remember. Rejoice in the Lord always. And I'll say it again, rejoice. That's one verse of scripture you can memorize. Let your gentleness be evident to all. The Lord is near. Let your gentleness be evident to all. The Lord is near. In other words, you know, gentleness means you have a peace about you. You have a calmness about you. Okay? Then it says this. This is the verse I'm talking about. 6 and 7. Do not be anxious about anything, but in every situation, by prayer petition with thanksgiving, present your request to God. And the peace of God, which transcends all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. God will give you peace. He'll calm your heart. 
I mean, we all get stressed out. I mean, we've all had a panic attack a little bit, you know, maybe we kind of freak it out. Maybe there's too much happening at one time. There's a lot going on in our life right now. We've got people we know. A lot of people in, uh, have died or are near death. Um, we're trying to help people out as much as we can. Our friend Donna Davis just passed away yesterday. Donna and Don were two of the people that helped us start Northridge. Carrie and our daughter Carrie Hicks now was uh, part of our team as well, and Carrie's been taking care of her parents, and, and Donna just passed away yesterday. And now Don, who has Parkinson's, he's a pretty bad Parkinson's, um, he's left alone, and he's a mid 80s, and he's getting more frail. And so uh, we pray for them, we appreciate that. But I mean, we, we try to be there to help people, like people help us when we are need. You want to be there to help people, support them, pray for them, tell them you love them, give them a hug. Sometimes you don't have the right words to say. Just be there. Just being there is the most important thing. Okay? So God gives us stability. Instead of having a feeling of panic and, um, and stress and anxiety, we can have a sense of stability. Stability, I love that word. Being, being calm under pressure. A dam was a fireman for 30-some years, right? I mean, talk about being calm under pressure. I mean, that's... That's about the most stressful job you possibly have. You call it, you're sleeping, you're sleeping, and all of a sudden you're sliding down a pole, you're going out to the truck, and, you're, and he's a, he was a lieutenant, and he had to take care of all these guys going to a fire, sometimes a four-line fire. I mean, talk about stress. I mean, and I can't imagine being trying to be calm under that situation, but somehow you're able to do it. I mean, under the most stressful situation, people in there may be you know, in danger of getting hurt. You're trying to save them, you know, and save the building. I mean, that's a lot of stress. I don't think most of us experience that kind of stress. But I mean, there's panic in our life sometimes. Too much, too much stimulus at one time. And it's hard, but God gives us the strength. Then the last thing is this. Hope and trust have the ability to restore and revive us. It helps us to battle back from dis discouragement. We have confidence in the Lord. We have confidence in the Lord. Because God gives us strength that we wouldn't have ourselves. It's not our strength, it's God's strength. Let's go to Romans 8. I love this passage here. I know you, most of you have heard this as well. But Romans 8, we'll close with this. Um, I love what Paul says. You know, this is when Paul says, "For And we know that in all things God works for the good of those who, are, who love him, have been called according to his purpose. In other words, no matter what happens in your life, even this, as bad as it is, God will help you through it doesn't mean everything that happens in your life is good. But it means that God will make good out of it. Even though something happens here that's not good, God will make something good out of that situation. Even though it seems hard to understand. Mike? What was your last point? My last point is that, the, that hope and trust in God has the ability to restore us and revive us. It helps us to battle against discouragement. To battle against discouragement. It gives us confidence Stability and a peaceful heart. Confidence, stability, and a peaceful heart. Listen to what Paul says then. I love this. Paul says, we're more than conquerors. He says this, what then shall we say in, in response to this? If God is for us, who can be against us? In other words, if God is for you, could anybody, including Satan, be more powerful than God? The answer is no. The answer is no. <laughs> He who did not spare his own son, but gave him up 
for all of us, how will he not also, along with him, graciously give us all things? Who will bring any charge against those whom God has chosen? It is God who justifies. Who then is the one who condemns? No. Christ Jesus who died, more than that, who has been raised to life, is at the right hand of God, and he's interceding for us. We shall, who, who will separate us from the love of Christ? Shall trouble, or hardship, or persecution, or famine, or nakedness, or danger in the, in the sword? No. In all these things we are more than conquerors through him who loves us. For I am convinced that neither death nor life, neither angels nor demons, neither the present nor the future, nor any power, neither height nor depth, or anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus our Lord. Wow. Talk about confidence. Paul is, is prayed up there it's, and he's got the Holy Spirit. He knows that God is on his God is on your side, you have a, you're in a majority, no matter what the odds. If God is on your side, you're in a majority no matter what the odds. God is with you. That's why I remember Gideon. Gideon's gonna bring three thousand, he says too many. He dropped it down to 300. So Gideon's, did he drop it down more than 300? I think he did. And then the point is, they're fighting a, a huge uh, enemy, and God just beat, went, won the battle for him. Because God is more powerful than anything. God can overcome anything in our lives. We have confidence. So having trust and having hope in God, it gives you knowing that God is with you. God is on your side, and you can have confidence stability, and knowing that God is going to help you through it. No matter what you're going through, God will help you through it. Keep your, what you, what are you saying? Keep your eyes on the Lord. Don't look your, have your eyes on the circumstances. Put your eyes on the Lord. He'll help you. Anybody have a comment as we close? Someone's got to have something to say. You're done. They, done. You haven't said that yet. Be still and know that I am. That's right. I'm practicing that. Be still and know that I am God. Yeah. <coughs> That's true. Yeah? And, Against it, to say I can do all things through Christ. Give me strength. Philippians 4 13. It's I can so do it. It's so important to be staying in the Bible. It is. You need to be grounded in God's Word because you have that, that confidence then. What? Just as uh, the parable of the coins, if you trust God with the little things, then you build your faith towards uh, trusting in the big situations. Exactly. See, God, God puts things in your life for a reason. God, God will put, put some tests in your life. And maybe he'll put small tests in your life to prepare you for the bigger tests. He, he's, it's building blocks. And sometimes in the in behind, you can only look backwards and see how God has helped you. You realize, oh, I can see now why, why I had to go through Why did I have to go through that? Because it was preparing me for this. God is preparing you for something else in your life. And he wants, he wants to bless your life. But he wants to bless your life because you're living for him. 
Let's close in prayer. Thank you, Lord, for this day. Thank you for your love. And may we live our life in a way that honors you. And just draw close to you and stay close to you at all times. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. For you on Facebook, I want to thank you for listening today. If you don't know Christ yet, this will be a great time to give your life to Jesus Christ. Just say, Lord Jesus, I want you to be my Lord and my Savior. I want to live my life to please you from this day forward. Because I know you're my Savior and my God. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. God bless you. July. Um, and uh, we're talking today about Psalm 51. This is a song of repentance, a psalm of repentance and restoration by uh, David. It's probably one of the most well-known psalms, and it's uh, very powerful. So we're going to kind of go through it piece by piece a little bit later on. We're having worship with our worship band, with uh, Mike and Abby and Matt and Patty and Christian today, and a fresh bread later on by Connor Laborde. So uh, thanks for being with us. Let's open in prayer. Thank you, Lord, for this day. We're grateful to be here, Lord. We've all had uh, busy weeks, and so I'm sure we've all had some stress in our life at times. And I just pray that we can just uh, spend time with you today and sing your praises and learn more how to live uh, the way you want us to live, like, like Jesus lived. And we ask this in Christ's name. Amen.
Ele. Lastly, how did the um, 
I wasn't there, but Clyde was there. Clyde, Clyde, well, Clyde was there and he handed out a bunch of backpacks. Do you want to come talk about that real quick? You don't have to if you don't want to. I know you're comfortable. <laughs> this is getting up. Yeah, uh, they had a uh, outreach at uh, General Mills Park yesterday. Nobody, right? Uh, several churches and the outreach group. They gave away about 250 or 300 backpacks uh, for the kids, and then the adults. Uh, they gave away personal supplies, uh, canned food. Uh, tracks, paper Bibles, a uh, lot of information uh, for the locals to be able to uh, uh, meet their basic needs and for the kids to be able to go back to school. Well, I said there was a line all the way around the park. It was probably about 200 people when they first opened up. Because they know it, it comes every year. They know it's coming. Yeah, so it's great. I yeah. mean, all over the Bible, we're talking. This talk it talks about doing justice and taking care of the poor. So that's that's what we're what we're doing as ministry. Um, all right. So in classic Northridge fashion, I asked Connor to do a fresh bread at the last minute. So he is going to. He's, thank you, Connor, for uh, dealing with my last minute ness. So here you go. Well, hey guys. Uh, I'm going to pray. Father, just thank you for this opportunity and guide my words and help everything that I say to be uh, from you and profitable and humble and wise, Lord, and just give us all listening ears, Lord. Love you. Just send me there. So I've been reading this uh, this book. It's called The Toxic War on Masculinity. Um, and I start school tomorrow. So I have like 60 pages I have to read today. Otherwise, I don't think uh, but this war, uh, this uh, book is written by nobody can hear me. Can you guys hear me now? <laughs> okay. This book is written by Nancy uh, Piercy, and she is a Christian, and she wrote this book um, coming from uh, growing up in a house where her father was physically abusive, and so when she became a Christian later in life. Um, she really wanted to know what is the role of men and what is what is masculinity. And as she's gotten older, she's seen a war against uh, a social war, or a um, I guess more of a culture war against against men, against masculinity. And she wanted to know what is biblical masculinity. Are men looking into this? Do men are are they aware of this? So she cites. Uh, dozens and dozens of studies um, kind of to start off and then she also kind of takes us through history starting uh, at the foundation of the country and where things are now and what has gone astray if anything has gone astray were we ever on track in, in any ways um, and it's extremely good it's really interesting uh, I want to talk about a couple of things about this book one thing is that there's and a lot of the studies that I would say Primarily, all the studies that she's that she's sourcing, that she's quoting, and that she has a whole, uh, she has all of them listed in the back, are secular studies. 
these aren't like Christians trying to skew numbers or anything like that. Um, so a lot of the people that she quotes are uh, secular sociologists or anthropologists um, or psychologists. So um, she talks about one man who's, again, a secular uh, sociologist, and he, when he gets in front of groups, he'll ask them, what is a good man? And people uh, unanimously say very similar things. A guy who uh, puts other people's needs ahead of their own, a man who seeks to provide, a man who serves, uh, somebody with temperance who is disciplined, um, somebody who's gentle, like people recognize that's a good man. And then when he asks, what is a real man? People say, oh, like get yours, like work hard, play hard, win at all cost, like all about like strength and, and dominance, you know, being the best, yeah like getting laid, like these are things that people say for the real man. And so he's, his whole premise was, okay, where do we go from men recognize what it means to be a good man, but where does this whole like idea of a real man, where do we get off so quickly into thinking that that becomes a priority? Um, and so when I was a kid, uh, I had men in my life and you glean different things from different men, but I would say, uh, the, the truest man that I saw as, as a young kid uh, was Charles Ingalls on uh, Little House on the Prairie. Got any Little House on the Prairie fans? Yeah. Uh, so <laughs> I was homeschooled for like four years, and I would watch what my mom watched, which uh, ranged from uh, like soap operas. I watched, uh, yeah, General Hospital was her soap opera. Uh, so I would glean from that. Uh, and she'd be like, she'd tell me the backstory. That's Sunny. I'm like, okay. Um, but sometimes we'd watch, uh, we'd watch Little House on the Prairie, and I saw this guy on there, okay, and he, w he was always sweating, you know, because he's out in the sun, um, but he was always with his family, and he had friends that he like loved. And he would build them up, and he, he was in church. And when somebody wasn't in church, they'd, like, go, and they'd be like, oh, I don't know what's going on with Dale, you know, or whatever it was. And, uh, but, I mean, this was a man who, in the show, he'd fought, he, he would fight when he needed a fight, when there was, like, danger. And he would protect when he needed to protect, and he would just humbly serve all the time. And growing up, that was always in, in the back of my head. Even before I became a Christian, I was like, that's a man. Like, I want to be like Charles Ingalls. And I never voiced that because that's not a popular thing to say, Little House in the Prairie. Um, <laughs> but uh, when I'm reading this book, I'm seeing, actually, that when she starts this historical narrative, which is the, the main uh, chapters of the book, maybe like a, a 10 or so, she starts at colonial times and essentially said that at one point, men were in the homes as much as women. Really, only like traveling salesmen uh, actually le left, or sailors or soldiers actually left the homes, but men were primarily, they were on farms, even if they were tradesmen, they were doing trades alongside of their wives and their children. A blacksmith, uh, usually his wife was also, like, worked in the shop as a blacksmith with him, and if he had to go deliver something, his wife ran the business. That these were, like, family units that primarily spent um, equal time with the kids, the men and women. Men and women taught their kids in the homes. They taught the Bible equally. Like, um, men took headship seriously as in, like, they were in their uh, their children's lives. 
and serving right alongside of their wives. And it wasn't until the Industrial Revolution that men actually had to leave the home primarily for work. Things were outsourced to factories versus uh, family units. And I think that our culture, I see especially after COVID, a huge shift of people wanting to work in homes. Men and women, how can I work from home? People got with their kids and they like that and they want to to be back in their homes working from there. Even going to school from home, all these opportunities now have opened up for, uh, for parents to parent together in the home. And I think that that is an awesome thing, whether Christians are doing it or secular people are doing it or whatever. I see this big shift of people want to be with their kids and pour into their kids as much as possible. So I think that that's a really good thing. But we still have this, this false narrative of this like real man, like men, we still don't really know what narrative to go with. We don't want to be a sissy, but we feel like certain inclinations to like uh, sacrifice for your family or be a servant, but then you don't know what that's even, what does it look like? How do we go about it? So I kind of want to leave with, with one. Uh, she opens up the book with good news for, for Christian men. Okay, And uh, so some studies, they come out and show that uh, Christians have the same uh, divorce rate, Christians have the same domestic violence, Christians have the same of, of any other uh, people group, that Christians are, are very similar in how they conduct their homes, or men have similar views, whether they're Christian or not. And there's actually a lot of studies that actually contradict this. Cri studies that are, again, not done by Christians, but by secular um, again, sociologists or psychologists or whoever. But what they find is that uh, Christian men who believe that the Bible is true and are actually engaged in their congregation, and they measure that in different ways. Like, do they believe the Bible is true? Do they read the Bible? Um, do they try and teach it to their kids? Are they in church? Do they serve at church? Things like that um, change the statistics drastically. Men who are doing those things have the lowest level of domestic violence of any people group in, uh, in America. They have the highest um, level of, of wives that are pleased in, in very numerous ways, whether that's um, intimacy with things that they do with their husband or um, how they feel uh, valued by their husbands. Like men who affirm Christian values and, and do those things have better statistics than any other people group in our country. But men who are nominal in Christian, who are Christian by name, they don't do any of those things, actually have the highest level of domestic abuse and the lowest level of wives that are satisfied and feel valued. So this encouragement comes with a warning, and it's not like, like point people out or, or anything like that. But really, are we, we have the resources in God's word to know, know who God is, know who the Father is, know what biblical manhood is, and how we should seek that. And, and we have to pursue that in the best ways that we can. Like, like we have to cry out to the Lord for help, and that, that he will line our hearts up with his word, and that we can be men who, who honor the people around us. Who, who see women uh, equally as ourselves and who look to pour into our kids uh, in every way. And so it's, it's a really good book. I don't have the jacket on, so you can't really see the picture. But uh, anyway, The Toxic War on Masculinity.
and uh, it's a phenomenal book. And um, yeah, that's what I got. Thanks, guys. Thank you. Good job. By the way, just um, thank you, Kyle. No, that was really good. You know, I think you see it uh, a lot on commercials and things like that. Usually, the guy is kind of a, a doofus. You know, they, they always make mistakes. There's one commercial where the lady's driving her car. She's driving, and he's sitting in the pantry with a latte. And she hits the pothole, and the latte goes all over the guy, and she gives him a look like, yeah, you deserve that. Have you ever seen a commercial? Like, this is not the way it should be, you know. But anyway, good point. That's a really good point about um, living in a way that honors God. By the way, there's a, there's a show on Netflix right now. Matt's watched it, and Mike has too. I have not watched it yet, but it's called uh, Quarterbacks. And it's got three quarterbacks that are famous quarterbacks in the NFL. And one is uh, um, um, Marcus Mariota. He plays for the Titans. He's kind of like a secondary quarterback. Of course, uh, the best one, the, the, the most marquee guy now is Patrick Mahomes. He won the Super Bowl last year. Um, he's a, like a phenomenal quarterback. Um, kind of flamboyant. Uh, he used to be a baseball player, too. His dad was a professional baseball player. And then they have Kirk Cousins. Kirk Cousins plays for the Minnesota Vikings. He used to play for uh, Washington Redskins when it was still called the Redskins. Kirk is a real strong Christian, and it shows how he, with his wife and his children, and he really is a, a, a godly man and a good man, and kind of a kind of a nerd. Everyone calls him Uncle Kirk because he drives a minivan. It's a guy making forty million dollars a year driving a minivan. He's I like minivans, you know. He wears plaid shirts. Yeah, he wears he dresses kind of square. He said, "Hey, this is just who I am." And his wife always picks out his clothing so he doesn't make a mistake and get color code wrong or something like that. But anyway, it's really showing a guy who is a, is a believer and a quarterback and how he's a man of faith and how he spends time with his family. He really values his family. I think he takes every Tuesday off from practice to spend a day with his family too. So that's pretty cool. Um, thanks for sharing that today. Um, we're gonna go an extra five minutes because we started five minutes late. So we, we should, I should have about 20 minutes or so, um, or a little bit more. We're uh, going through Psalm 51, and I might not finish today on this one, I'm not sure, because I don't want to rush through it too much. But Psalm 51 is a song of repentance and a song, a, a psalm of forgiveness. It's, it's the classic psalm. It's kind of like the Lord's Prayer, in a way. Let me explain. The Lord's Prayer is a model prayer that Jesus gave us how to pray. How do you pray? This is a model psalm on how to ask for forgiveness. It's a model psalm, and we've all had to ask for forgiveness in your life. If you say you haven't, then you're a liar. <laughs> probably, you know, you probably should ask for forgiveness for that. Uh, but we've all had, we've all made mistakes. We've all, we've all sinned, and we all know how it feels when you sin. As a Christian, we all know how it feels when you've let God down, and you've let your maybe your family down, or your friends down. And David was a man after God's own heart. That was actually said after the sin, by the way, because you know he became the king, and and he was uh, it was he was a most powerful man in the world. And he's looking out. He took time off from the war. He's supposed to be at war. We took a little break, and he looked out. You know the story. I don't want to go into deep, that, that much detail. He looked down the story. He saw Bathsheba, a beautiful lady, taking a bath on a roof. And because he could, and her husband Uriah, one of his top nine guys that was like his bodyguards, he's at war, and he calls for Bathsheba to come to his place, and they 
have sex and, they, and she gets pregnant. So they, she tries to bring Uriah back so that maybe people will think he got her pregnant instead, but Uriah won't go in the house. He said, no, 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 I'm a warlord. I will not go in my house and be with my wife because I'm, I'm a soldier. And so David is mad because he, he refuses to go in the house and he stays on guard at the front gate of, of Jerusalem. And so now he goes back to war and so he comes up with this scheme, David comes up with a scheme to put Uriah on the front line and have everybody else back off. So everyone else backed off and Uriah was killed by all the spears and all the arrows. So he basically had, it was a hit, he had a hit on Uriah to kill one of his best friends to cover his sin with Bathsheba. And they had a little baby boy. He didn't last long at all. He, I think he died within a month. And they grieved him. And, you know, and, and the main point of that is this. Even though God forgives you, even though God forgives you, there's still consequences for sin. Let's say you uh, have a car accident. And maybe you're drunk. And you hit somebody. And I, I know a situation like that. And, and the person passes away. Well, you can ask for forgiveness, and God will forgive you. But you're still going to go to jail. Because you, you that's vehicular manslaughter. And there's still a price to pay, even though God forgives you. You've got to remember that. Because, you know, the rain falls on the just and the unjust. Just because you're a Christian doesn't mean things aren't going to happen to you that aren't good. The question is, what do you, how do you handle those things? Clyde? Um, when I had the car accident, I was, it was the grace of God that I walked away with band-aid injuries. But I still had developed arthritis later, so I still had consequences from the accident. So Clyde got hit. He got, he hit hit a semi, uh, or he his his his, his, his mirror flipped the semi, and he flipped. This is like a little Ford Ranger or something like that, a small truck, and he flipped the car like five times, end over end, landed that far the field, and and realized I'm alive, and somehow he made it through it. But you still have the pain and the injuries from that. Don? I think it's interesting if you use the scenario that sin, you have to, or you're going to suffer consequences, but also those people you sin against suffer consequences. Absolutely. Everyone suffers. When, when you've made a mistake, other people are affected by it. You don't live on an island, right? You affect other people, your family, other people that maybe you hurt. A lot of people get injured from that. So let's read Psalm 51. This is such a good psalm. And it's so well written by David. It shows his true remorse. You can, you can tell by the words he's writing that he's truly... By the way, a shortened version of this is Psalm 32. Psalm 32 is also confession for the sin with Bathsheba. Now what does that tell you? Psalm 32, Psalm 51. What I'm saying is when you ask for forgiveness, it still might not feel like you're forgiven. You might ask for forgiveness more than once. Because the pain of sin and being separated from God, um, it lingers on. So, in a perfect world, in a perfect world, we wouldn't sin. In a perfect world, we wouldn't do that stupid thing or that dangerous thing or that insensitive thing that caused pain for others. And then we would not suffer the consequences of sin like we do when we sin. So, What's the lesson to learn here? I'm going to kind of push fast forward to the very end. The lesson I hope we all learn here 
is let's not do these things in our life. They're going to hurt other people and hurt us. And hurt, most importantly, hurt God. We've got to remember that. The first person we hurt when we sin is God. Because we've, we have not kept our promise to God to live a godly life. So if, if we're wise, you know, don't, if, you're, if you're wise, you don't do the same mistake twice. I know I've had an accident over at Walmart, the Northridge Walmart on Alpine and Riverside. I was backing up, and this old lady backed, pulled right in front of me, and I didn't, I didn't see her, and I hit her car, not badly, but I had to pay, my insurance had to pay for her a new bumper. The son said, don't worry. Her son owned a car, car dealership right there, like literally right next to Walmart. He said, don't worry, we're fine. But they turned it in, and I had to pay for the, still had to pay for her accident. So what's the lesson I learned? I tried, I have a big vehicle, a big Sequoia. My, my lesson is I try never to back out of a stall. I try to always pull through so I can go forward, because you can see a lot more when you're going forward than when you're going backwards. So you learn from your mistakes. That's my point. This is what David says. Psalm 51, have mercy on me, O God, according to your unfailing love. Have mercy on me. According to your great compassion, blot out my transgressions. Wash away all my iniquity and cleanse me from my sin. Now again, God can do that. God can forgive sin, but you still have the consequences. He still, he still had his son, his, his friend Uriah killed. He basically murdered him. I don't know if I don't know if Bathsheba ever found that out or not. Um, and then he, then a, a little boy died within within weeks of being born. Um, if you look at his child, his children, Absalom tried to kill him, took over his kingdom. I mean, he had a lot of problems with his kids. It was not a perfect family. David's family had was was wrought with contempt and problems. And that could be because of David's lifestyle originally, and when he made those mistakes, it it kept it does keep on, the cycle keeps on when you make mistakes. Um, in this situation, David was forgiven by God, but there were still consequences in his family. Number verse three, I for I listen to this, for I know my transgressions, and my sin is always before me. Ever had that happen? When you've sinned, don't you have that? Feeling, oh man, I can't believe I did that. And it says, um, against you and you alone have I sinned and done what is evil in your sight. Remember that. Yeah, you've, you've affected other people with your sin, but you've, you've affected God primarily because you broke your promise to live in a, in a way that honors Him. Now, by the way, if you, if you have sinned against somebody else, it's incumbent on you to make it right. Go to that person. Apologize to them. Ask forgiveness. Say, I was wrong to do what I did. And if you need to pay for something you've broken or something like that, you pay it. You try to make recompense for what you've done. On this earth, on this earth, as a Christian, we need to do that. We're obligated to do that. He says, so you are, this is verse 4, part B. So you are right in your verdict and justified when you judge. Surely I was sinful at birth, sinful from the time my mother conceived me. Yet you desire faithfulness even in the womb. You taught me wisdom in that sacred place. Secret place. Cleanse me. Now this is the repentance part of it. Verse 7. Cleanse me with hyssop. I should have done more research on hyssop. 
but it was used for cleansing. It was a it was a branch. Uh, it was a, a, like, a like a kind of a flower, um, uh, and wash me, and I'll be whiter than snow. Let your let me hear joy and gladness. Let the bones you have crushed rejoice. God will crush us when when you are a Christian, and you do wrong. God is heavy on your heart. God is God is going after you. He wants you back. And he will torment you, you might say, until you make it right. Now, maybe you haven't experienced that, but I have. I've experienced that, where it's heavy on your heart. So why do you think we feel so bad when we had, when we had a, a, an egregious sin? As a Christian, why do you think we feel so bad? That's the question of the day. Mike? He's in the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is heavy on your heart, isn't he? He will, he will remind you until you get it right. Exactly. And the, also, you, you've been there. You, in other words, you know what it's like to feel good with the Lord, right? You know that sense of feeling clean and um, talking to God freely. And then you sin, and all of a sudden you don't feel like you want to talk to God. You're embarrassed. And now you don't have that good relationship. There's, a, there's something between you and God until you ask and confess your sins. And then you feel clean again. Then you feel restored again. There's nothing like that feeling when you've been living sinfully and you repent of your sin, you make it right, and now you're back in good, good favor with God. That's what David wants. He wants to be restored to that place of favor with God. He goes on to say this. Let me hear, let me hear joy and gladness. Let the bones you have crushed rejoice. Hide your face from my sins and blot out all my iniquities. Iniquities are a fancy word for sins. Create. Listen to this, verse 10. This is a key verse. Create in me a pure heart, O God, and renew a steadfast spirit within me. That's kind of the key verse of this my book, in my book. Create in me a pure heart, O God, and renew a steadfast spirit within me. In other words, I want to be back to where I was. I want to be with you where I was before. You ever had a friendship where it's gone sour? You ever had something happen where there was a misunderstanding, or you did something wrong, you did something stupid, and now you're not, it could be your, your, your mate or a friend, and, and, and now you don't feel like you can talk to the person anymore. There's a, there's a barrier there. And then when you get it right, you feel so good that you finally got everything cleared up and you're back to where you were. That's what David wants with God. He goes on, Create me a pure heart, O God, and renew a steadfast spirit with me. Do not set, cast me from your presence or take your Holy Spirit from me. Restore to me, this is the other key verse, verse 12, Restore to me the joy of your salvation and grant to me a willing spirit to sustain me. I'm going to stop right there because of time. I don't want to rush this thing too much and not be able to go. But this is, this is the crux of it here. First of all, he repents. The, most, the, the start of, of restore, restoration with God is repenting when you sin. Making it right with God. Apologizing to God for what you did. Name the sin. Someone used to say, name the sin, whatever you did. I used your name in vain. I um, thought a lustful thought. I wanted to kill somebody, and that's not right. I wanted to get revenge on somebody, Lord. Forgive me for what I did. I, I set them up. I entrapped them, and I got them in trouble. You ever done that before? You ever, you ever kind of schemed to get something done to somebody? Then you realize it was wrong? that's a worldly thing to do that's a heathen kind of a heathen thing to do to try to is take revenge like you talk about you know real man a real man 
is like takes no prisoners. Clint Eastwood, Rambo, you know, that's a real man. You know, because because that's what a man's supposed to be. You're tough. You know, you're violent. You know, why can't a guy be a, a tough guy but also a good guy? I think that's what you're saying is is that we you know we should be able to do both and do the right thing. Okay. So first of all, he repents. The first step. How do you develop a pure heart? It says you recognize and confess your sin before God. You tell God what you did. Now, why do you do that? God knows all things. Why, if God knows everything, why do you need to say it to him? What do you think? Somebody, raise your hand. Come on. Well, if God already knows, why do you need to say it? Mike? Okay. has to be. <clears throat> you have to uh, acknowledge it in your own mind. Uh, it, God knows it. It's like a parent and a child. They know when you've done something wrong, but if you don't confess it and get it off your chest, uh, it's you're going to carry it with you. Exactly. So he want they want you. He wants you to verbalize it. He wants you to say, "This is what I did." He wants you to acknowledge your sin. Okay. So the first thing is recognize and confess your sin before God. Plead with God for mercy, and thoroughly confess your sin to God. Okay? Number two, or ask God for his cleansing. How does God cleanse you when you have sinned? How does, how, how does God cleanse you when you have made a mistake, you confessed your sin? What's that process of cleansing? What are some things that might happen for God to cleanse you? Any thoughts on that? Mike? It starts with like actual repentance. You have to be sincere. And then maybe you, you, what do you, what do you do to get back with God? Well, what did you do in the first place to get back with God? You read the Bible, right? You get in God's Word. You spend time in prayer. You might listen to Christian songs. You might have, be involved with a Bible study or, or have an accountability partner to pray with you and to help you through what you're going through, right? Once you claim it, uh, the blood of God will cover that sin, but you have to... You have to uh, claim the sin and repent of it. Yeah, you have you have to. It's like someone. Let's say somebody binged and gained twenty five pounds, and they're now they're at a health risk. Well, how do you change that? Well, first of all, you reduce your in, your calories, right? You drink more water, you exercise more. You know, there's the things you can do to get back on track. You know, it's going to be no pain, no gain. You got to do that to get back on track. So, what did you do in the first place to grow spiritually? Now you got to repeat, you know, repeat those that process and do the things you did before to get right with God, and then stay clear. If you know there, if you know you have a problem with drinking, you don't go to the bar. You know, you you got to be careful of what you do because you know how did you get in the wrong place in the first place, and how do you get to not go back there again? You might need to change your friends. Maybe you have a friend that's toxic to you. You have a friend that maybe gets you to do things you shouldn't do. Guess what? You might have to end that relationship or at least change that relationship. You've got to find out what was the cause of what you did the wrong thing and, and change what you're doing. The next thing is this, number three. Receive God's cleansing and seek to a renewed spirit. Renew a heart and a spirit for Christ. You need to, you need to uh, develop good spiritual habits to do to do the things like maybe in the morning before you play video games or before you watch your favorite show 
or whatever. Maybe spend 15 minutes with God. Maybe read the daily bread. And maybe, uh, maybe read, uh, go through the book of uh, Philippians or James or something like that. Two of my favorite books. Uh, or maybe one of the Gospels. The Gospel of John or something like that. And then pray. And then, and then pray for people. And, and, and give God the first part of your day so that you can get restored in your relationship. What you do at the beginning of the day will, will affect you the rest of the day. Right? Okay? All right. And then let's, let's one last thing here. Uh, after restoration, well, I'm going to go to that next week. There's, so what happens after you've been restored, what happens next? You know, if you want to get back on track to do what you were doing before, it's hard to share your faith with somebody when you know you've been doing something really bad. Once you've restored, been restored to God because of your confession and repentance and restoration, then you're in a position to do what you were doing before. But the point I'm making is, as the last point I want to make is this, if you don't do those things in the first place, if you can stop doing that specific thing that's causing a problem in your spiritual life, I've been watching one of my favorite singers of all time is Gordon Lightfoot. He's a, he's a Canadian folk, kind of a country folk singer. And Gordon Lightfoot got really popular, moved down to New York, moved out to California, friend with Bob Dylan, all kinds of people, started drinking heavily and uh, partying. He had a number of women in his life. There's a song called Sundown. You might remember that song on Sundown about a girl that was uh, toxic, had to get away from her. And, and, and it, all of his friends were saying, Gordon, you gotta quit drinking. He had one concert where he went out and started swearing at people. He had did two or three songs, got mad, and started, he walks off stage. And that's when they knew he was really off the rails. His sister, who was his manager, up in, uh, by Toronto, said, Gord, Gordy, you gotta quit drinking. You're gonna kill yourself. You need to quit drinking now. It's gonna ruin your career. And he was drinking at least a, a pint of vodka a day, as example. He said, you know what? They're all right. He said, I, no one thought I could do it, and I just quit. I just quit completely. I never drank again. And I, and I went up to Canada. I, I moved out of California. Went to Canada, got on the canoe, and I started like losing weight and getting healthier. And it, it literally changed my whole life. He was still doing concerts at 82 to 83 years old. He just died about, I think, two months ago at 85 years old. Because he changed his, he changed his life. He would have been dead by 60 the way he was going. But he changed his life and realized they're all right, and I, I'm not all right, and I've got to get my life changed. When he did that, he became a really nice guy, and I think he could have even been a Christian, but some of the things he said, he started out in church singing in the choir, but he was a young, young boy up in Aurelia, uh, Ontario. And the point is, he made a dramatic change in his life. So I'm gonna ask you a question. And this is all personal, I don't want anybody to say this, but is there any area of your life that you need to change? Any area of your life you need to, to cleanse? Or maybe you still have some unfinished business with God. You need to get right with God. Say, God, you know, I, I, I've got to change this in my life. It's not good for me. It's brought me down. I'm not where I, I don't have that first love. It talks about it, I think, in Revelation 3. I don't have that first love for you I used to have. And I want to restore that first love in my life for you. So, Lord, I want to change this in my life. And I want to become more godly. I want to be a better dad. I want to be a better friend. I want to be a better husband. So, what is that thing in your life, or a better wife? 
what, what is that thing in your life that you need to work on? Um, this is not a guilt trip. You know, actually it's a trip uh, of restoration and a, and a place where you can be more effective for God. Don't we want to be more effective for God? Maybe it's just laziness. Maybe it's just spiritual laziness. I have not spent that much time with God lately. I haven't read my, I haven't read my Bible. I haven't been praying like I should. I haven't gone to church like I should. You know, I'm cynical. I've got a bitter attitude. Maybe you need to forgive somebody. Maybe that's your sin is unforgiveness. Maybe you need to just say, I'm sorry. I, I, I'm not going to hold a grudge anymore. Let me tell you, if you're holding a grudge against somebody, it's hurting you most. If you hold a grudge against somebody for something that happened in the past, let it go. Let it go. It's like, like that song from Little Mermaid. Is that Little Mermaid? No, I'm frozen. I mean, you got to let it go. Let it go because it really it's going to ruin you. You need to move forward in your life. I have found when people have done bad things in my life, and I'm, I'm being honest with you, it's, it actually was for the good. When I, when, I, when I left a certain church, I'm not going to say, God did that for a reason. It was a good reason. So even when something bad happens, God, you remember that you met it, like David said, Joseph said in Psalm, I'm sorry, in Genesis 50, you meant it for bad, but God meant it for good. Even when something bad happens to you, God somehow makes it for the good. Okay, Clyde? Um, when we've been out uh, trying to present the gospel, if you're not right with God, one of the biggest things we hear uh, from the unsaved is hip hypocrisy. If, if you're holding on to sin yourself, then you're not going to be a good witness to somebody else. So true. That's so true. I mean, that, that's, that's totally logical, right? That, that's totally logical that if we're not going to be a good, if we're not living the way we should, how can we be a, be a good witness? Yeah. I mean, it, it, so anyway, so I hope that you learned something today about that. Read Psalm 51 again, please. Read it very clearly. I'm going to read it more this next week. I really enjoyed reading it again. And it's, it's, it'll really give you a, uh, an outline for how to get back right with God. Um, let's pray. Thank you on Facebook for listening. I hope that you enjoyed this. And I, I want to just say, if you haven't yet given your life to Christ, this would be a wonderful day to give a life, your life to Christ and say, Lord Jesus, I want to live my life to honor you. I've been living for myself. Now I want to honor you and live for you. Thank you for giving me a chance to be a part of your family. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. God bless you.